First John uh, chapter 4, 1 to 12. The spirit of the truth and the spirit of error. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see if they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus and is not, is not uh, from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard is coming. Even now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater, the one, greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, what they say is from the world and the, the world listens to them. We are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of the deception. Knowing God through love. Dear friends, let us uh, love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is not because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. These are God's words to us. <coughs> Amen. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. Love consists in this. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Well, good morning, everybody. My name's Matt, and I'm one of the student ministers here at church. Now, I thought I'd start this morning by giving you a bit of friendly advice, and that is, don't believe everything you hear. 
Has someone ever given you that advice before? I'm sure they have. Maybe you've given that advice out yourself. I think it's something we probably all want to live by, don't we? But do we actually live it out? I saw a story a while back in the news. Uh, There was a satirical comedy group called The Chaser. You might have heard of them before. They tried to show how the media will post news articles and headlines without actually checking the facts of the story first. And you know, in our age of cancel culture, where anything that isn't politically correct, it gets changed or removed, the chaser, they decided to see if they could make a fake story about fairy bread having to change its name. Because you see, fairy, well, that's outdated, isn't it? That's uh, offensive to people. And so they thought, let's make uh, a fake campaign to take change the name. They, they created a petition. They created someone who, uh, with a fake name to post the article. They created fake social media sites as well. And then they released it to the press to see what would happen. Now, there's a lot of obvious signs that this was fake. But amazingly, sites like news.com, the Daily Telegraph, the Herald Sun, they all published this story without checking the facts. Now, it's pretty crazy, isn't it, that our major news stories, major news companies will post things without fact-checking. Don't believe everything you hear. Now, you might be thinking, surely, surely we wouldn't fall for stories like that, right? We're not that silly. But how about when we hear things from the pulpit? From up here, where the preacher at church on a Sunday. How much do we think about what is being taught from the front of church. Lots of people come along to church and they're very sweet, very kind, and they comment on the preacher. They say, you know, he's a pretty, pretty nice guy, pretty funny, maybe pretty handsome, I don't know. Um, but do we ever think about what he's saying from the Word of God? Well, I wonder if you've ever found yourself thinking, yeah, accepting it as truth because it's just what we've come to do because of the platform that the person is speaking from. We're going to see today that we shouldn't just take everything as we hear it. In fact, we need to test it. We need to listen more carefully. In Matthew chapter 7, it says that wolves come in sheep's clothing. False teachers, they're in the world around us. They look and sound like they've got what we want to hear. And so we need to make sure that what we're hearing is the truth from the Bible. And yet at the same time, we don't want to be people that just write everything off, do we? We don't want to be like that grumpy person that walks into church having already written everything off before a word is said. Because you see, there is great truth to be heard. There is truth that gives life and hope. So how about I pray and then we'll jump into the passage together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can meet together, sit under it and learn from it. We pray that you will give us ears to hear, help us to be changed by it and help us uh, to keep thinking about what it means uh, to live it out in our lives. And I pray that you help me to speak clearly and faithfully from your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for those of you who were here last week, we saw in 1 John what it means to live out love. Cole, he walked us through how we are to obey the Word of God, how we're to love one another, and how we are to uh, hold firm to the truth and remain in Christ. 
And at the end of chapter 3, we see that we know we remain in Christ because of the Spirit that He has given us. Our assurance, it depends on and is given by the Holy Spirit. And assurance, this is a great thing, right? This is what we all long for, to know where we stand. But how do we know that we have this Spirit, that we do have this assurance? Do we need to have had some sort of overwhelming spiritual experience to have the assurance? Do we need to have been baptised or confirmed to know that we have the Spirit? And even if, if we are confident that we do have the Spirit, how do we know it's the right one at work in our lives? Because remember, as we've seen in 1 John, there are false teachers that are denying that Jesus is the Christ. And as part of their false teaching, they appeal to the spirits, to uh, the spiritual realm for their knowledge to support their false teaching. So how do we know what spirit is from God and how do we know what spirit we have in us? Well, let's have a look at the passage. We see the answer in verse 1 and we are given two commands. Firstly, verse 1, we are not to believe every spirit. You see, we mustn't be gullible just believing everything we hear. Just because someone says something doesn't mean we need to believe them, to accept it as truth. In fact, instead, we should actually test the spirits. We should test what people have to say to see if they are from God, which is the second command that we're given. You see, it's not unloving to question people. It's not unloving to see, test what they are saying. If someone has said they have had a spiritual experience, it's not unloving to test whether that is from God. In fact, it's actually what we're commanded to do. Because you see, the Spirit, it's not unknowable. It's not some mythical being that goes about its work with no way for us to test it. No, the Spirit works in ways that can be seen. It can be known and tested to make sure it's from God. You see, many false prophets have gone out into the world... There's lots of people teaching these lies. There were in the Old Testament, we see there are in the New Testament, and there are in our world around us as well, aren't there? And so we need to pay attention because these false prophets, they come with a spirit that isn't from God and they come to divide us over the person and work of Jesus. And so we need to test the spirits. But how do we test the spirits? Well, it's actually a pretty simple test. We need to listen to what they say about Jesus. We test the message that they proclaim. See, the Spirit that is of God, in verse 2, is the Spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Now, maybe you thinking, that sounds like a pretty simple test, maybe too simple. It's too easy, right, for anyone to just say that Jesus came in the flesh. No one in the first century when this was written would have doubted that Jesus came as a real person. But have a look again. The Spirit of God confesses that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. The confession is not that Jesus came into the world as a human, but that He is the Messiah, the Christ, the chosen Son of God. When we test the spirits to see if they're from God, we need to ask, do they recognise the uniqueness of Jesus, the historicity of Jesus, the supremacy, the humanity and the deity of Jesus? 
You see, Jesus hasn't just come into the world as a cute Christmas uh, story baby, right? He's so much more than that. He's come into the world in the flesh, in the flesh having been risen from the grave, coming into the world in victory over sin and death. And so when the Spirit confesses Jesus in this way, as the victorious Son of God, well, that's how we know that it is the Spirit from God. And when the Spirit is at work in someone, when they help that person see the supremacy of Christ, that the, he, Jesus is the Lord and Saviour, well, when someone has that Spirit, they're going to want to talk about that, aren't they? That's how preachers should be presenting Jesus, as the resurrected Son who reigns on high. But the spirits who don't confess Jesus like this, well, we see in verse 3, they are the spirits of the Antichrist. These spirits, they're not from God. And as their title suggests, they're Antichrist. They're people who profess that Jesus isn't what the Bible says about Him. They're people who think Jesus didn't die and rise again. They think Jesus isn't all that great. Yeah, maybe he's a real person, maybe a prophet, a good teacher, but not the Christ. Now, I'm not saying that anyone who doesn't have the Holy Spirit is somehow demon-possessed by these other spirits. No, it's, they're living under the spirit of this world, the devil. They're in this realm and it is him at work in their life. And we see these uh, false spirits at work in religions around the world, don't we? Especially, I think, those that are quite close to Christianity. Judaism and Jehovah's Witness, they will both say that Jesus is a real person, a true figure in history, and yet they deny His physical resurrection. They deny that He is the Lord and Saviour. And so they are under the spirit of the Antichrist. But it's not just other religions, right? It can be within our own as well. You can have an Anglican minister who, he works every Sunday preaching from the Bible, but if he denies that Jesus came in the flesh, if he denies the physical resurrection of Jesus, as some do, well, he's under the spirit of the Antichrist. Because when they deny that Jesus is the Lord, they deny that we are guilty of sin. They deny that you have to obey what the Bible says. They deny the ways of living that we find in the Bible. An example of this, uh, in my hometown where I grew up, uh, one of the other churches, there was a minister who was preaching that everyone will go to heaven, that no one is going to be judged. You see, many of the congregation, when they heard this message being preached, they tested it against what the Bible has to say. And when they saw that it didn't match up, well, they moved on to a church where the Bible was being taught. But others, they didn't test the message. They just accepted what was being said as truth. And they lost sight of sin and they lost sight of the love of God in Christ. And so as they lost sight of the need uh, to live by God's Word, as they just accepted what was being said, well then, of course, they lost sight for evangelism, right? Because why would you need to tell anyone about what Jesus has done if everyone's going to go to heaven? So instead of living the way the Bible speaks, the way, instead of evangelizing to their friends, they use their time and energy to do things like build a community garden. They moved far away from what the Bible had to say. 
It's actually really sad to see a church go down that track. And so for us, we need to know, don't we, what the Bible has to say. We need to actually understand the truths that it proclaims to be able to test what, when people say something different about who Jesus is. We need to give great value to the Bible. We need to know it, to love it. We need to get clear on what it says. And we need to stand firm on those truths that it proclaims. We need to fight for these truths when they are challenged because they're so important to us. See, this is one of the reasons that reading the Bible with other people, reading it one-on-one, reading it in growth groups, these things are so valuable for us as Christians. Because as we wrestle with God's Word by ourselves and with others, well, it helps us understand the truth of who Jesus is and it helps keep our eyes fixed on Him. When people get soft on these truths, when we read things differently just to please people or to fit into the culture we live in, Well, this is when we lose sight of what is true. We lose sight of Jesus as our Lord, just like the spirits of the Antichrist. I guess the good news is, I'm hoping for most of you who are here today, that you're here because you you still believe that truth. You still believe in Jesus' death and resurrection for your sin, and you want to keep meeting together and growing in your understanding. And so can I say, good job, (laughs) as it says in verse 4, You've conquered these false spirits. But how have you done this? Well, it's because the spirit that is in you is greater than the spirit that is in the world. See, God is the one who allows us to know the truth. Right back when you first became a Christian, when you first trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, it's God who brought you to this trust. It's God who's worked through you by His Spirit. And it's God who continues to protect you and keep you. Maybe you think you're still here at church because you're diligent or wise or consistent and uh, yeah, you've done it on your own strength. But no, we see it's not on our own efforts that we remain faithful, but it's because God has kept us. In verse 5, we see that these spirits, they're from the world. There's stacks of voices out in the world, aren't there? These voices, they have success in the world because they are preaching to the world and they're from the world. The world listens to them because they want to hear what they have to say. But when we have the Spirit of God in verse 6, we want to listen to the truth, to what God has to say to us. And So we need to keep working hard to listen to God rather than the things of this world. Because it's easy, isn't it, to get flooded with the ideals and temptations as we scroll through Facebook, as we read the news, as we watch reality TV, even as we have conversations with our friends and family. We get caught up in what the world has to say. And so we need to keep coming back to the truth we find in the Bible. So if you have the Spirit, well then you'll listen to the words of Jesus, that He's died and risen, risen in the flesh. And you confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. But not only will we confess it, well, we'll actually show it in the way we live as well. And that brings us to the next part of our passage in verses 7 to 12. See, these verses, they start again with a command to us. Verse 7, that command is to love one another. It's a pretty clear and simple command, isn't it? 
And there's three quick reasons we're given to love one another. Firstly, love is from God. Secondly, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And thirdly, the one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. These three famous words, God is love, this is it's the central part of this passage. It's who God is, it's his character. God is love. It doesn't say that love is God. Now we don't worship love, we worship the God who is love. And yet the world has made love a God, hasn't it? Because we use love as an excuse to do all sorts of things. Adultery. Well, that's fine, isn't it? As long as I love the person who I'm sleeping with. Same-sex marriage, of course, love is love. How can it be wrong if we love one another? But you see, justifying sin is not what love is about. Sure, we can, we can experience love, we can love others and we can receive love in a real way, but we've actually distorted what it means to love somebody. That's why we need to test the spirits. We need to examine God's Word just as John has told us, so that we know when we're getting it wrong. But in this passage, we actually get to see what love really is. In verse 9 and 10, God demonstrated what love is in the event of the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, this was Jesus' mission from the very start, to save sinners. Jesus, He's our substitute He takes our sin upon Himself. He accepts the punishment that we deserve for our rejection of Him. He's the sacrificial lamb, the ransom price paid to release the captives from sin and death and to buy us freedom. His death for our life. This is what atonement is. This is Jesus dying in our place so that we can be reconciled to God. Our broken relationship with Him can be restored. You see, the love of God, it's not some vague feeling uh, that, of goodwill towards us. No, it's the costly commitment to our welfare. Even when, especially when, we reject Him. You see, even when we don't deserve it, God loves us. God's love isn't a secret that He's kept to Himself. No, it's demonstrated to us. It's shown in His generous giving of the most precious thing of all, His one and only Son, Jesus. You see, verse 10, love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. God doesn't love us because we first love Him. He doesn't love us because we are somehow lovable. No, God loves us in spite of how we love Him. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6 to 8, it says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Now, for those of you who have children or grandchildren or uh, nieces and nephews, it's not too hard to love them when they're being nice and, and kind and obedient. 
maybe when they're asleep, when they're in the cot or bed, they're peaceful, they're silent. It's easy to gaze on them and love them in that way, isn't it? It's when they're awake, when they're in their full flight of rebellion, when they're throwing food and disobedience and not listening to anything you say. Well, to love them in those moments, that's a different sort of love, isn't it? You see, that's the way God has loved us. Except we're way worse than a ratty kid. You see, we've rebelled against our Creator. We have chosen to live the way we want to, rather than to be obedient to Him. We actively reject God. And we choose to be our own kings. And yet, it is in this state that Jesus chooses to come and die in our place. Before we repent... When we still are rebelling against Him, God chooses to love us. You see, this love is like no other. This love is who God is. So the way we respond to this love, the only appropriate response, verse 11, is to love one another. If we know God, if we've been born again by receiving the true Spirit of God, well, then we love one another. And when we don't love one another, well, we show that we don't have the love of God in our lives. We don't know Him and we do not confess Jesus as our Lord. Because, see, God doesn't love the lovely, He loves the sinner. Not because we deserve it, but because that is who He is. This love, it's a total and astonishing forgiveness. It's a love that overwhelms our lives so that we can never be the same again. We can only respond with love and forgiveness to others as well. When we find it hard to forgive someone who has wronged us, when we keep holding grudges for those uh, people who have treated us poorly, well, at that moment, we're actually forgetting how much God has forgiven us. We're forgetting what price He has paid that we might be forgiven ourselves. And so it shouldn't matter uh, what someone has done to us, shouldn't it? Because it's nothing compared to the way we have rejected God. It shouldn't matter how much it's going to cost us to forgive someone because it's nothing in comparison to the payment of God's one and only Son. You would have heard Cole speak of this last week and you're going to hear it again because John repeats these themes of love and forgiveness time and time again because it's so important for us as Christians. You see, as Christians, we reflect who God is. We reflect His love and so we put God on display. You see, we need to love each other because of how we have been loved. Not just in our words, not just saying we love someone, but in our deeds as well in the way we care for one another, in the way we forgive one another, in the way we keep looking out for others above ourselves. If we love like this, in verse 7, we are born of God. We don't love the way the world loves, because the world, they love the lovable. They love their own. Even the worst criminals in history, I'm sure they love their families. But you see, God's love is not just loving those who are easy to love. No, it's loving those who we find hard to love. It's loving everyone here at church, no matter who they are or what they've done. It's loving our enemies and our persecutors. 
You see, in verse 11, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. And God has loved us in this way. Otherwise, we would never have been able to be saved from our sin. And so we too are to love like that. And this is a hard command to follow, isn't it? Love and forgiveness are hard when the pain is real and the hurt is deep. I'm sure there are plenty of people sitting here today who have been really hurt, really wronged by others. You might be thinking, there's no way anyone else can even understand what I'm going through right now. It's hard to love those people in that moment, isn't it? Which is why we need to keep reflecting on who Jesus is and what He has done for us. Keep reminding ourselves of the way God has loved us and the price that He paid for us. And so that's why we keep coming back to church, keep coming to love one another and help support one another in pain. And we need God's help too, don't we? If you're finding it hard to forgive, to love others, we'll talk to God because He knows us and He cares for us. He cares so much that He was willing to send His own Son to die in our place. And there is no greater love than that, right? How about I pray and thank God for all He has done for us in Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank You for who You are as our God. We thank You for Your love and mercy and grace that You have showered upon us in Jesus. Well, thank You that through Jesus' death and resurrection, we now have the hope of eternal life. We have the forgiveness of sins We have freedom from the slavery of sin and death. Lord, we pray that this great truth that we see in the Bible will change us. Lord, help us to rightly respond by loving you and loving one another. Lord, even when we find it hard to love those people who have hurt us, Lord, please help us to keep remembering how you have forgiven and loved us in our rebellion of you. We pray you'll keep changing us to look more like Jesus. We pray all this in his name. Amen.